Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to our Big Squid Limited series, Space Podacy, a new limited series where comedian Ben Elwood and I discuss some of our favourite science fiction movies. Today, we're travelling back to 1972 as we discuss Silent Running. And welcome to our latest Space Podacy episode. Uh, this is going to be a fun one for you because while I still have a lot of affection for this movie, it's a film that is, I don't know, I'm being fair, it's pretty dated. And it would have been really easy to watch this and be cynical, be a little bit cynical about the message as well. And. We don't go that route. We work really hard to dissect the story. We make certain that we're watching this in the correct context. It is a film that wears its heart on its sleeve, which isn't a bad thing, but sometimes those things can make you cringe a little bit, especially when it's stuff that you believe in. I don't know what it is, but sometimes when you believe in something and then someone else bangs on about it, you can be a bit like, yeah, 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 you're making this feel a bit awkward. But look, I I really love this film and uh, I think it's really easy to dismiss it for its clunkiness. But, you know, you've been listening to uh, quite a few of these episodes now and, you know, just uh, in the last few weeks you've heard us talk about Children of Men and E.T. and they were just love fest sensuals. And this conversation is going to be a little bit different. You're going to get a, a different type of texture to this discussion and I think you'll be right into it for that reason. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this film and in particular this podcast. Since we launched the Patreon for Big Squid, you will be aware that everyone who signs up not only receives bonus material and early looks at brand new segment ideas, you also have an episode dedicated to you. And today's patron shout-out goes to Danny Radford. Danny has been one of the kindest people on our Patreon, always checking in and writing to me about his thoughts on the podcast. Uh, 
just recently we had a really interesting exchange about his take on the Sofia Coppola movie On the Rocks. It is a take that is less cynical about relationships than the one that Ben and I came to. It's a nicer take on it, probably a more positive take. Uh, but it was good to hear what he thought of that. We were also discussing uh, the merits of some of the Star Wars spin-off movies as well. And uh, Danny is a good guy, and I'm always happy when I see his name pop up in my emails. Uh, Danny, thank you for subscribing. And whenever you get to Silent Running, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of this film as well. If you'd like an episode of this podcast dedicated to you, along with all the extra bonus goodies that come along with it, head over to the Patreon site and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you can join in with our rapidly growing community. There are tiers that should suit everybody. So if you are keen, you can find the one that is best suited for you. Now it is time to connect with botanist Freeman Lowell, who has spent the last eight years aboard the space freighter Valley Forge, where he preserves the last of the botanical specimens they were able to rescue from a devastated Earth. When he and his crew receive orders to destroy the domes and return home, Lowell, with the aid of his robot drones, does whatever he can to save the animals and plants that live inside these special little places. It is time to connect with the world of silent running. A space convoy on a strange voyage carrying a rare cargo. The forests, the plants, the growing things doomed to extinction on Earth. Have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests and return our ships to commercial service. And we're going home! We can't blow up this forest. Thank you, now move! Silent running. Cataclysm in outer space. Every moment bringing its own danger as man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe. Valley Forge, Valley Forge, what the hell's wrong? You're moving out, you're accelerating. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now please advise me immediately. Give me Barker. I can't find Barker. I can't find Wolf or Keenan either. I'm afraid, Neil, that they might have been in dome number two. Number one. Meet the almost human drones, amazing companions on a journey beyond the stars. <laughs> the man has a full house and he knew it. Now, how about that? Hear Joan Baez sing Rejoice in the Sun and Silent Running. If you continue as is, we figure you'll hit the northeastern quadrant of Saturn's outer ring tomorrow morning. There are movies that you rewatch mm-hmm. that you have. Uh, 
like this epiphany where you're like, holy shit, why am I not watching this once a year? And that's how I feel about E.T. Yes. Especially movies from my childhood. E.T. is one of those films where... It's like you remember all the broad strokes mm-hmm. and then when you rewatch it, it's like the minutia is greater than you've given it credit for. 100%. Uh, this film, <laughs> I understand why I loved it as a kid, but, yep. you know. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah. And yep. when, so when did you see this film for the first time? With you, like well, a that year was and a half first ago. Time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that. I thought and you hadn't a, seen it in a long time. No, 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 I'd never seen it before. And it was hilarious right. because I think you hadn't seen it in a long time either. No. And it was one of those great examples of occasionally... Memories should be left as memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I remember about 20 minutes in, you kind of having that moment of like, oh, this isn't maybe what I remembered. I think it was when John, Joan, John, Joan Fontaine. Joan Baez. Joan Baez. What yeah. is John Fontaine? <laughs> Joan, Joan Baez was doing the whole, we like the rainforest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, what is going on? It's funny. We'll, like, There's a lot to dig into with this film, yeah. and it is a... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't dislike it. Mm. I think it's a really sincere film, and it's I think it sincere. is... But it's, it's it weirdly... <laughs> it, like, I can see its influence on lots of movies as well. Like what? Oh, well, I was going to get into it a little bit later. Okay. Uh, uh, let, let's save it for when we get okay, into yeah, it later. Sure, sure. But you can, you can definitely see its influence on things like Duncan Jones' Moon and things like that. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a... Yeah. Uh, but I think this is a film where to have an appreciation of it because for a while there I was like oh god are we about to do a podcast where we're just going to be spending an hour and a half shitting on it but I think it is definitively a context film like you have to watch it in the context of how it was made what era it was made in why it was made and what it was attempting to do and then you can have an appreciation for it even though uh, like you know Douglas Trumbull wasn't a didn't study directing mm-hmm. he's a special effects guy mm-hmm. and i think that plays out in many ways it yes. also is a film that when we get to it there are things that i've wished of other films that happen in this and i've realized that's why they don't happen in other films because it would be <laughs> too weird what like, like character beat story like, like the, the pacing of this movie is unlike any movie i've ever seen where it's yeah. like it it really gets into it. It really sets everything up. Kills off most of the main characters. And then it becomes this contemplative kind of slide into madness. Yes. And then has a big ending. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. I, it was like, you know, I think I've said, you know, Prometheus would have been so much better if we had that opening. And then they discovered, hey, we've worked out that this is a map. And then the next hour was just David on the ship. Yep. But maybe it wouldn't be. <laughs> no, I think uh, it, it's interesting because, you know, I appreciate this movie is, in terms of theme, very ahead mm. of its time. Mm. Um, but I did have this moment halfway through. I was like, uh, like the environmental movement and basically any progressive movement is always at risk of turning off the people who are already inclined to be against it. And I'm watching this movie going, 
no one who is like eh, nature's fucked is watching this movie and going oh yeah Bruce Dern acting like a fucking evangelist for nature <laughs> ranting and raving like a fucking maniac is being converted like I want to nuke his forest because he's so fucking annoying oh. and so it was um in that te- in that context, I appreciated it that it was really going for something. Yes, and I do believe that everyone that made it really believed what they were. Yes, what they were professing in the movie. Yes, uh, I just think its effectiveness as a for what it's trying to achieve is not there. Yeah, and and maybe is I I would love to know how this was received at the time. Well. <laughs> One of the rare things that I've like, you know, no, we don't actually mention reviews too much. Like yeah, we yeah, might yeah. in passing, yeah. but I was curious about this one as well. Mm. And I am going to finish when we get to Squid Bits. Mm-hmm. I have some wild swings, yeah, as in uh, reviews from people talking about it being masterpieces to people saying what just happened, yeah. and it's fascinating. Because I, I, I dipped in a little bit and I saw Roger Ebert's review, yes, where he's like, "Oh, this is one of the most subtle, nuanced performances ever," and yeah. like I'm kind of I Mate. waver a lot on Ebert. Occasionally, I'm like, "Yeah, you're right on," and other times it's like, "Well, you're a fucking hack. What are you talking yeah. about?" And this is definitely one of those moments like what you watched that performance and thought it was nuanced that Come was on, buddy uh, well that was one of my favorite ones that i was gonna the way i anyway when we get to it you'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll notice the way i've put the reviews <laughs> to keep you completely off balance and that is one of them where i was like that's really yeah. okay well yeah. i guess you know i guess he's thinking about the oh, anyway well, let's get we'll into get bruce to dawn in a sec yeah. um but it was I'm glad I rewatched it again after that watch that we did mm. because I think it, once again because the podcast forces us to watch things yeah. in different lights yeah. I think it's uh, yeah. it stopped it from being god I don't know if I'd watch that again too I oh, know I have a greater appreciation of it I'm in no rush to watch it again but uh, yeah. I can completely see why god I must have been like 7 or 8 no wonder I loved it when I was a kid because well, yeah. it's because it's like there's there's no subtlety to it, Roger Ebert, and oh, so absolutely. and as a kid, yeah. I didn't need subtlety because it was telling me corporations are bad. Yeah, they don't give a shit. Yeah, and we've got to do whatever we can to look after nature. Totally. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as a kids' film, it kind of works better. Well, it is G-rated. Yeah, like which is which I wouldn't have guessed from watching it, but yeah. you know, kind of in that context of like, oh yeah, a movie that you take your kids to to maybe kind of give them a lesson. Yeah, I was talking to Adam Richard about it. Yeah, uh, and he said the same thing that he cried like a baby all through it yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Um. Oh, I couldn't stop crying as a kid. I could not stop oh, yeah. crying. The the drones. The the, the, the the final scene is awful. The the when they're trying to repair yeah. one of the drones and the other one's there. Yeah. The way he once again, I don't want to uh, preempt what we're talking about, but the way he slides into madness and kind of berates the other two when they find the leg of their missing friend. Don't and- mourn your friend! <laughs> it's like, what is happening here? Yeah, I do, I do wonder what my relationship with this would be if I had seen it as a kid. Yeah, I think it would be one of those films that... There'd be a sentimentality connected to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And as I said, like... While I was watching it, like, there's some things that you rewatch and you go, Jesus, like, well, I had no taste as a kid. But this is one of those ones where it's like, oh, I can I can understand exactly 
why I fixated on this film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's not one of those ones you go back to and um, it's just completely devoid of any meaning or no. it's a completely empty shell. But it's kind There's of... stuff there, but... It's, it's just been superseded. I think also we've come to a point, you know, like the, the whole environmental movement and, and the concern for nature and everything is like levels beyond what's being expressed in that movie. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it's similar to there's, there's, there's certain um, screeds in uh, Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Yep. Where they're, they're ostensibly true, but mm. they're also this kind of like ham-fisted yep. beginning of a realisation type points that are being made. Yes. Uh, and they don't, they lack a little bit of nuance for where we are now. Yeah. You know, where, where, where the day, where, we're recording this on the day that COP 26 finished and yeah. basically the guy who ran it burst into tears uh, as he made his speech going ah we didn't achieve anything really yeah. and maybe we'll try again next year and this is after they spent all year going well this is kind of the last chance saloon if we no, don't figure yeah. it out this year we're fucked yeah. and now it's like trying to sell the message of like oh no we'll give it another year it's like okay yeah. like you know we're kind of we, we, you know we're 40 years on from when this movie was made and things are 50 50 fuck yeah. and things are um you know, a lot, uh, uh, yeah, just a, a lot more nuanced and, and, and um, disturbing than even this movie can yeah. scratch the surface but of. But somehow this film's still prescient. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So our first uh, segment, Google Me Chuck, yeah. the top four responses when you Google silent running. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is, this top, this first one is not me leaving out a word. This is exactly how it's Googled. <laughs> What happens, silent running? <laughs> what happens, silent running? All hope gets incinerated. That's what happens. What happens, Mr. Running? Or can I call you silent? Uh, how long is silent running? Mercifully is... short. Oh, yeah. Like... 79, 89 minutes. Like, gets in, hits yeah. hard, gets yeah. out. Yeah. Um, is silent running Netflix? <laughs> like, can't people just... Google the word on as well. Anyway. And why is the movie called Silent Running? That is a good question. So I have the answer for you. I did a little bit of research on it for because I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've never... Yeah, neither. I've never thought that. It's quite likely that the title Silent Running was a cool-sounding holdover (laughs) from this original concept where, according to Trumbull and Fantastic Films magazine in 1978, Lyle... Lowell? How do you pronounce his name? Lowell. 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 Freeman Lowell. Uh, Lowell has the drones help him tear out all the communications equipment, throw it Uh, out into space, paint the whole ship totally black so no one can see it jet off. Ah. Silent running. Great moment. Yeah, it's like one of those things where you go, ah, that, like... If you're going to have Joan Baez fucking singing some songs, let's see them painting the ship black. And I think that might have been a more... Well, I mean, we'll get to the ending, but that might have been a more satisfying ending, him just kind of cruising through the vacuum of space for all time yeah. as the gardener rather than... Uh, or maybe he had to die in the end. It was a well, metaphorical death of, uh, of all hope. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, I guess there is still some sort of hope, I guess, but it's... Um, yeah, because uh, he, like, one of the things that I think they could have done better, and I'll, once again, I'm preempting heaps here, but, um, like, the slide into madness mm. could have been, like, they they already start him a bit mad. Yeah. So it's it's not quite noticeable that he's 
slid into it until yeah, and that that's where I mean, like Trumbull is. You know, he's he's not a director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I also like, you know, I, I think Bruce Dern is great in certain things. I don't think this is a great performance. I think uh, when th- th- there's that one scene where he's he's eating the cantaloupe and they're all kind of mocking him and he yeah. loses it and he's like, I made this with my hand. I grew it in the dirt. And it's just yeah. like the acting is, it's 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 pitched up to, you know, <laughs> Sydney Uni student hectoring yeah. and lecturing you type yeah. pitch where it's like, you know, I mean, I, I, I review everything on Letterboxd all the time and, and what I wrote on that was, you know, like if I'm who's essentially philosophically aligned with everything you're saying yeah. is blanching against your rhetoric yeah good luck convincing anyone on the other side of the on the t- and I think you know and I think that actually leans a lot into kind of the politics of the day be you you know centre left or centre right what what would have been considered a kind of you know middle ground rational perspective even 10 years ago I think there's this great swath of people in the middle who are really turned off by the hysteria on both sides of yeah. just, you know... Stop shouting at me. Yeah, stop fucking lecturing and hectoring yeah. and screaming and accusing. And yeah. that's not the way to fucking get anywhere. Yeah. You know, my, my grandfather was, you know, born in 1912. So he was obviously a man who did not grow up in a world where there was a lot of gay culture or anything. And so up until a couple of years before his death, he wasn't outwardly homophobic, but it kind of grossed him out a bit. Yeah. It was weird and it wasn't part of his world. And if he saw two men kissing, he was like, ugh, like recoiled yeah. a bit. Does that mean he's a horrific, disgusting homophobe that needs to fuck off and die? Or is he just a product of the time and place yeah. that he was born yeah. and his experiences? And the reality is, in the final couple of years of his life, because my mum's two best friends are gay men that have been married for 30 years. Not married, but, you know, together yeah. for 30 years. Um, you know, right towards the end of his life, he had this moment where he kind of came into what this reality was and said their love is the same as everyone else's love. Yeah. And he meant it and yeah. he really believed it. And I guarantee that had I spent 20 years screaming at him, like, yeah. you fucking piece of shit, you're a homophobe, you're disgusting. Yeah. He wouldn't have come to that moment. Yeah. He came to that moment through patience and understanding. And there is a place for hectoring and screaming, especially when it comes to the environment. I get it. Yeah. Like, everything's on fire, and I yeah. don't know that a measured response right now is right. But, um, yeah, I think this movie kind of really highlighted that how easy it is to roll your eyes and mock someone who is, you know, at fever pitch. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean about, you know, take that exact same script and have a have him be a little bit more measured at that yeah. point, you yeah. know, and then, you know, that works beautifully. One of the things, just as a sidebar, I'm, I've been really disappointed in a lot of friends who have said really dismissive things of uh, young Greta Thunberg, and it's like, oh. uh, I keep saying to him, you, you, you know she's a frightened child. Yeah. We're, and, yeah. we're meant to protect them. Yeah. And don't you remember a time when you were a child and yeah. you had ideals and you weren't, they weren't crushed out of you by right. an income and shit that you could purchase yeah. and comfort and all these other things. I mean, I can really feel that happening in myself. You know, I turned 40 a couple of days ago and it's been happening gradually over the last few years but you feel that ossification set in you really do yeah like that kind of like that punk rock spirit just slowly starting to kind of fizzle out yeah and just that like oh you know whatever it's not my world anymore (laughs) yeah you know but it doesn't mean that you 
you know, don't turn into some hideous cliche where you're the old person shaking your fist at the young people who yeah. still have their whole futures ahead of themselves. Yeah. And really, what world have these kids been brought up in for the for the most of their lives? You know, if you were born in the year 2000... Yeah. So say you're in your late teens, early 20s now, it's been one fucking horrific catastrophe after another. Yeah. It's been 9-11, then it was the fucking, oh, the terror alerts at Orange today, what does that mean? Oh, watch out, the bus might blow up. Then it's just for the last 10 years, it's been, well, don't make any plans because you're probably going to be underwater by 2030 and everything's going to be extinct. Like, what? how are they supposed to react? I got up this morning and uh, the news headlines was China's warning to Australia about not getting involved in Taiwan. Great. Exactly. It's just these, you know, this, so it's either... As a young person, I feel like I, your only two options are either surrender to complete nihilism, mm. where you just fucking do nangs and smoke cones all day, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, which is how, <laughs> very much how I spent my 20s, um, just in this sense of kind of perpetual despair. Yeah. Or you get galvanized and you go, fuck, like, we got to do something. Yeah. You know, if the, if the old people aren't going to do anything, we got to do something. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you, you might have a an issue with someone's rhetoric or this or that but uh, yeah I, I don't understand that kind of mocking yeah the, the mocking is and also that that uh, you know enough of you and it's like well enough like yeah oh, I would love to have to be able to say that to Greta because we had everything sorted mm. and on track mm. but it, it's not yeah. so the kids have to keep talking because they're the ones that are going to have to deal with choking on the fucking air. And It's that thing of getting older where it's like, you know, really the reality is if they were completely, you know, if it was the entire generation was completely apathetic and just dedicated to consumerism, they'd be dismissed for that. Yeah. Like, oh, don't blame the boomers for destroying the world. You're as culpable as yeah, yeah, we yeah. are. You fucking me, you hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then, then, then you know, the, the people that are actually fine, oh, you fucking, you think you know everything? Me, 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 yeah. me. It's like, maybe we're just getting old. Yeah. Maybe we're just getting old and grouchy and, you know. Well, we've, maybe if we lived to 150, we'd start doing something about it. Because if you thought, oh, shit, I have another 100 years of life. Totally. But it's not that. I mean, my, my buddy messaged me on my birthday. And he's like, happy birthday, old man. And I was like, sent back a message going, fuck, fuck. 40 and he just sent back a message going better to be 40 in 2020 than 20 in 2020 yeah that's a good point <laughs> and you know we're laughing but it was like it was with that it was that real dark laughter of yeah. like fuck yeah you're right yeah yeah I turn 50 next year Woo. I feel like I've timed it really well yeah um <laughs> Segment, first context. These are some of the sci-fi movies that came out before and after. In 1968, we have 2001 A Space Odyssey. 1969, like, whew, what a bad uh, year for sci-fi. Once again, I had to re- return to the computer wore tennis shoes with Kurt Russell, and it was the only movie I recognised from that year, even by title. And the only reason I recognised it was because I looked it up for our 2001 <laughs> uh, podcast. 1970, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Mm. 1971, A Clockwork Orange, yeah. 1973, Solient Green, 1974, Dark Star, John Carpenter's Dark Star. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And then, so the uh, in 1972, like these were the three films that I was aware of: Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, mm. Slaughterhouse Five, and the original Solaris. So it's yeah, right. not like it's uh, sci-fi is not really out there at this point no I think this is when it was um, it was kind of not the most beloved genre yeah yeah Uh, I have a quote from Duncan Jones later that uh, 
kind of uh, spells that out. Uh, the movie comes out of the success of Easy Rider. So Universal Studios executive uh, Ned Tainan was keen to capitalise on the counterculture demographic and gave five directors $1 million to make a full-length feature with little to no studio interference. Mm. Um, and I think that context is important to kind yeah. of understanding the film because it is... Uh, like suddenly Bruce Stern's performance makes more sense because it is a counterculture kind of yeah. performance. Yeah, 100%. Um, 1970 was also the time of the very first Environment Rights, uh, Environment Rights Day and Earth Day. So that was... Worried by Nixon. Yeah, yeah. Like, Isn't it funny? Yeah. When I was a teenager, seeing Nixon show up on stuff, he was the most reviled and, yeah. you know, I reckon most people that would remember that, that are rationally minded, would love Nixon back <laughs> compared to these <laughs> fucking nihilistic pieces of shit that we've got now. Like, Nixon and Kissinger were awful, but awful. they... At least they had an ideology. Like, At least it wasn't the complete ideology of just complete nihilism and greed. Yes, yes. Like... What what a situation! Mm. Where yeah. <laughs> you look back at Nixon, it's it's um, you know, it's, it's almost like I long for the days of John Howard <laughs> or, or Malcolm Fraser more. Not John Howard, Malcolm Fraser. Suddenly you go, well, Malcolm Fraser let all the Vietnamese refugees in, and uh, yeah. y- you know, I'm well, you know, John Howard banned guns in Australia. Like, yeah, there's some good stuff. I mean, I'm no, I was, you know, I like, was ma- mainly bad, but mainly bad. I mean, I was in my twenties during the Howard years. So, you know, prime against him. Yeah. But you look at this fucking gronk that we've got now, this absolute fucking, oh, he's awful. Just, it, it goes beyond anything. just beyond words. The how ins- awful he is. Yeah. The insouciance that comes with every word that's uttered. Yuck. And, oh, just awful. And I, I, like, I'd hate him if he was just the guy that I bought wine from. Yep. Mm-hmm. What a cockhead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Political satire at its best. What a fuckwit. What a fuckwit, mate. Um, well, we're, we're, I mean, I, I, would, I would argue that we're beyond satire at this point. We are. You know, when, when politicians are so happy to debase and humiliate themselves on the world stage on a minute-to-minute basis, how do you parody it? Yes. You know, the only way to parody people... I watched The Great Dictator the other night. Oh, yes. Uh, which I, I think is the most subversive film ever made. Right. Because it was made when, you know, England still had a um, truce with Germany. Yeah. When, when most of the world was going, oh, Hitler's kind of scary, but, you know, he's doing some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and this movie comes out that just absolutely demolishes him. But the only reason it could demolish him is because he carried him... Like, uh, he carried himself with a his own definition of dignity and grace, which was... It's effective to tear someone like that down. Yeah. Because they're trying to present an image of themselves that is not the truth. Yeah. But, you know... Now, these guys... You know, Boris Johnson, how do you... Like, Scott Morrison, how do you... You know? I'm going to leak text messages from a world leader because uh, just to prove that I'm better than you. Like, what? That's What? Yeah. That's a diplomatic fucking nightmare. Yeah. You know, and I was watching... um, the, the, the news that day and they're interviewing Barnaby Joyce the, the, who was acting Prime Minister that day dressed like just wearing a fucking Akura bra yeah. ruddy faced yeah. it's literally that Simpsons sketch where it's like I'm taking this all the way to the oh, Prime Minister I know. Something, oh. something that we were so offended by until uh, obviously our politicians went oh that's the way of the future 100% and he's there on the news going well, what was he supposed to do you know, the, the bloody French law. We didn't bloody disgrace Napoleon. We didn't spray paint the Eiffel Tower. I mean, he said we're liars. So what was he supposed to do? What was he supposed to do? 
be a fucking diplomat and yeah. a fucking leader, yeah. not leak private text messages oh, with a yeah. fucking world leader. This is insane. Well, you know, like I feel much more comfortable with, say, Joe Biden in charge of America than I did of Donald Trump. Yeah. And then you see him at the at the uh, uh, thing in Glasgow yeah. and he's, he's asleep. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> like the guy's 107. Like, Don't worry. But <laughs> Trump's coming back 2024. Uh, well, hopefully they'll, uh, you know, all the stuff won from January 6th, which is getting some real momentum and the, the, the stuff that they're trying to block is not being blocked and is revealing hope, a lot I of stuff. So. I, have, I have real grim feeling that he's back. It's like the shark in Jaws. He just went out to sea for a bit and he's coming back. I have a much worse thought mm. that there's something worse than Trump coming. That's what that's because sure. everything gets worse. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I hope you're having a good time listening to this podcast. If you have gotten to the 24 minute mark and haven't driven your car into a tree or thrown yourself off a cliff, uh, uh-huh. congratulations. congratulations. <laughs> um, from the get-go, we are introduced to a fleet of large spaceships that house enormous greenhouse-like geodesic domes yeah. that preserve as much flora and fauna as they possibly can. This openly, uh, this immediately opens up the question for me, what the fuck does Earth look like? Oh, totally. <laughs> oh, my lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. I reckon it looks like Blade Runner 2049. Yes, yes. Like, I think that's a really... That's one of the scariest depictions of a, a, a dystopian Earth that I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, similar, or, or, or like Wally. We talked about that in the yeah. Wally podcast that the most disturbing thing isn't just the trash, it's that there's no green. Mm. Everything's gone. There's no birds, there's nothing. There's roaches and trash. Yeah. I, I think it's that. I think it's just, you know. I, I think that's also one of the reasons that I loved it as a kid was because, you know, unlike modern movies which show you everything, back mm. then you had to kind of project a little bit of imagination onto what you were watching yep. and that was definitely something uh, that uh, kind of chilled me to the bone also i mm. think maybe as a kid uh, i pictured it like dark sides apocalypse mm. you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. big fire pits big fire pits and all that kind of stuff so yeah i think i think that's you know to, not to i don't want to rag completely on the movie so i so i say that i i, I think a very effective thing in the movie is the three guys yeah. and just the way their general disdain and attitude towards nature is depicted I think yeah. is incredibly accurate yes I think that kind of it's not just that I don't care it's the open mocking that, yeah <laughs> a tree yeah <laughs> what did a tree ever do for us yeah that, well you know like a heat. Lot. yeah heat. <laughs> you know that kind of um that glib kind of you know and again that's reflected so much in our in the politics of the day you know yeah. our, our ex um deputy premier john barillaro who you know is just fucking the king of land clearing and yeah. chopping down forests and yeah. refers to koalas as tree rats yeah you know as they're just nothing more than you know it couldn't be that they're this incredible ancient species that has lived for hundreds of millions of years longer than we ever will yeah but um no they're just basically an inconvenience to clear out of the way so you can sell more land to your fucking um to your developer mates like it's just also the way he pictures his wife's vagina i reckon (laughs) tree rat (laughs) no as a as an Yeah, he's yeah. a, um, oh, a she's, piece of shit. She hasn't been pregnant for an hour. Yeah. Better get her pregnant again. Totally. All right. <laughs> just just for the people listening at home, I want them to work out. Is this Bruce Dern speaking or is this Ben Elwood? <laughs> Here we go. 
That's right. Every time we have the argument, you say the same thing to me. You give me the same three answers all the time. The same thing. Well, everybody has a job. That's always the last one. But you know what else there is no more of, my friend? There is no more beauty and there is no more imagination and there are no frontiers left to conquer. And you know why? Only one reason why. One reason why the same attitude that you three guys are giving me right here in this room today and that is nobody cares <laughs> that was me through the mouth of Brewster and I went time travelling and I wrote the script for silent running <laughs> I was watching it just going why am I having deja vu? I don't particularly remember this speech. Oh no, I feel Every like this conversation is conversation I have with Owen. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's not true. It's no, no, no. True. No, no. It's uh, like once again, mm. like that's that's the direct script and that is yep. 19 written in 1970, 71. Yeah. We we've <sighs> talked about this in the past. You know, I think that's the really uh, the really disturbing thing about, you know, suddenly everyone being panicked about the environment mm. as though we only tweaked onto this five minutes ago. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this for the longest time. That yeah. This is... I don't remember a day of my life where the environment wasn't a front and centre concern in my brain. I remember as a little kid, you know, one of my mum's friends talking about how global warming is going to get to a point where everyone was going to have to be wearing hazmat suits just to go outside. Yeah. Um, you know, and as a kid having these apocalyptic... I mean, I'm, I'm too young for the um, the whole Cold War nuclear scare. Yeah. Um, but that was... Like, the environment was always... Yeah. Like, oh, God, the environment's going to collapse. The environment's going to collapse. And that, that, that couldn't have just been an invention of my mind. That had to have been in the culture somewhat for yeah. me to glom onto. So, you know, I think the fact that there has been a sense of urgency... And, that, and, and this movie, for all its flaws, has a sense of urgency. Yes. Uh, I think the sense of urgency that's been there for at least the length of my life, four decades, and it's only now that generally people seem to be like, oh, shoot. Yeah. The, like, certainly, that's it's fucking terrifying. It's only the last five or six years that it's become a yeah. mainstream talking point. Mm. Yeah, it is... Uh, it, it's really shocking that the... Like it's, it, it's to me like saying, don't stick the knife in the toaster because you'll get electrocuted mm. and people are just going ding 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 yeah, ding yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like why why are you doing that yeah. like that Could that's how see. obvious it is to me. Got to see what happens. Well, I got to see. I got to get my toaster. The, the the metaphor I always think of is you know I mean it, it's it's really not a surprise because the individual human being uh, will eat. 50 cheeseburgers a day, despite the doctor going, hey, man, yeah. better stop, yeah. better stop. Probably yeah. not a great idea. And more often than not, it takes some terrible health scare or just something to go wrong yeah. before someone changes their behavior. So if you macro that out into you know, the global population, especially something as kind of existential and invisible as climate change, or yeah. what, you know, and, and the fact that when it really starts manifesting in a visible way, it probably will be too late. I think it, it only stands to reason that people would be able to just put it off, put it off, put it off for another day, another day. Yeah. Um, you know. As a kid, I had uh, recurring uh, dreams of going outside and uh, the sun being so full on mm. that it was almost like looking around was like looking at a, an overexposed uh, Polaroid photograph mm. and having to crawl because the heat was so heavy mm. to for wherever I was going. Mm-hmm. 
And as someone who buys into the idea that time is happening all at once and mm. we're only experience, experiencing it in a linear fashion, mm. I really hope that was just me with an overexcited imagination. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was you visiting part of the block time. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> Uh, Director Douglas Trumbull, who worked on 2001 with Stanley Kubrick, wanted a contrast to the pristine interiors of the ship Discovery. Star Wars is credited with that junkyard universe feel, but I kind of feel like this movie beats it to the punch. Uh, You know, we were just, uh, we mentioned this at the start, other aspects uh, of this movie that you see in modern classics. Mm. I felt like you can definitely see the influence on Moon, uh, uh, and I didn't find the um, the Duncan Jones uh, quite until after I'd mm. kind of thought that. Mm. Uh, regular Joes in space feels a little bit like Alien. Totally. Uh, there's a little bit of Interstellar. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I feel like it's... High kind life. Yes, yes, yeah. I feel like bit it's... high life. I feel like it's DNA is in quite a lot of yeah. um, movies that we watch now. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think... I, I, I get the impression that a lot of people we appreciate director-wise saw this at a young age. Yeah. And so, you know, it kind of threaded itself in there. Yeah, it does. It just kind of does some weird things like, like, you know, how, how does that pool game work? <laughs> the fucking hole in the middle. Yeah, just, just, have, a, just have a normal pool table. Why, why do you have to have a... Like, everything else is so lived in. Why do we have a space-age pool table? They're the, they're the moments that make you go, what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Hang yeah. on, what's happening here? <laughs> no, definitely, because, uh, I mean, up until you showed it to me last year or whenever we watched it... Um, it's definitely not one of those movies that you never hear of. It, I've always, I've, I'd always heard the name Silent yeah. Running. Yeah. So, and there's plenty of other sci-fi movies that I love a lot more than this that I've never heard of. Like, yeah. they don't show up on the list of influential things. Yeah. So it obviously made its mark. The uh, One of my wishes for the film Prometheus, which I told you before, was just following David around on the ship by himself, which was almost what you get with... Uh, most of the crew being killed off mm-hmm. halfway through this film. Yeah. Um, but Freeman Lyle's uh, relationship with the rest of the crew is like, it's like hanging out with Ricky Gervais. Yeah. <laughs> like, I agree essentially with everything that Ricky Gervais is saying, but yeah. I wish he'd stop saying stuff at, yeah. sometimes. Like, I, I, you know, like when he's pushing back against things, but I just don't need to hear it. And yeah. And for me, like... The moment where it it makes it hard for me to be completely on his side all the time yeah. is how fucking annoying he is when he decides to play cards. Yeah. Like he's... Yeah, he's a cocky shit. Oh, he's fucking hard work. And also, like, I don't like those three guys at all. No. Like, no, not, not in no. the slightest. They no. are the type of guys that... I recognise from my youth mm-hmm. that I made a conscious decision not to be friends with, mm-hmm. hence why I don't hang out with the comedy scene anymore, uh, because there's too many of those fuckheads in there. But Oh, you got passions, do you, mate? That's fucking oh, hilarious. Mate, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know... Tell us what you really did, Tiger. Oh, my Lord. Like, just awful. Mm-hmm. But also, like, if I was at the comedy store and Freeman turned up, I'd be like, fuck, why... Like, I know. Is it? I, I, yeah, it's funny because I feel like I've kind of flip flopped and contradicted myself a little through this conversation in talking about, you know, 
I, the people like Greta and everything where it's like, yeah, man, like I get it. Mm. But there is, and but also, but at the same time saying, you know, I, I fucking hate Freeman and he annoys me and I want to burn his forest down because he's so annoying. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to properly square what I mean. I think it's when someone is saying something that you agree with, but they're saying in such a way that you find, um, you know, whatever, overbearing that it's that extra bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, yeah. It's well, like, oh, you're, 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 you're letting down the side, man. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. So I, once again, I think this is where Trumbull's lack of uh, directing skills come to the fore. I feel like that poker moment actually just could have been a fun moment in the film where you go, oh, yeah, like these guys, for the most part, get along and he's considered a little bit kooky. kooky. Yeah. But uh, if they kind of, once again, like that, opening scene of Alien kind of takes that scene and gets it right yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. you know they've quite clearly not not everyone likes each other mm. in that scene but there is a camaraderie and there's a joking around and you know there's some shorthand yeah, totally. um, but then <laughs> the, the poker scene really stands out to me of like well there's just no way that you're going to win them over and I also just yeah. think um, you know when they find out that they're going to blow up the ships mm. that that should be the moment where he becomes militant like up yeah. until that point he should be a little bit more hey don't be careful you know hey i'm trying to do some good stuff here yeah 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 i think that monologue that he does uh where they're laughing about him eating the cantaloupe yeah which is kind of strange. I feel like at some point on that journey, they would have tried the cantaloupe, right? <laughs> like, but that, that's what I mean. No, yeah, I, everything. That's why it works as a children's yeah, movie yeah, yeah, because yeah. bad people are bad yeah. and good people are good. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yes, but, why haven't they tried the cantaloupe? On, it looks delicious. And that shit looks fucking awful, awful that they're eating. But, you know, again, is is I mean probably more true than not you know i know a lot of people who fucking you know i've got a friend like that he's 10 years older than me and you know he's, he's kind of like my guide for how not to be because right. he's you know good friend great he's he's one of the best people but yeah. he's just a, a slave to his vices uh and you know predominantly eats processed food and maccas and all this shit right and i'll be sitting there eating a salad and he'll be like <laughs> salad boy <laughs> what are you what are you what's going on like wow. you're Simpson wow um, that's weird but you know it, uh, but it, it so that that thing of them laughing and going that's not food this is food is, is very true yeah. to me I know yeah. a lot of people like that I think that rant that he does though in the that about the cantaloupes and the world you know no magic left in the world that would have been so much more effective if that had almost just been a locked off shot yeah. and he's not even lecturing them. It's almost quietly saying it to himself yeah. and getting all choked up and teary. Yeah. And then you cut back to them kind of looking at each other like, whoa, what a fucking freak. Yeah. You know, I think when he's ranting at them and let's be honest, it's not the greatest performance in the world. Like the performance is a bit ropey as well. I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be empathizing with them laughing at him in that moment. And I kind of do, even though I agree with everything he's saying. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, yeah, he's, he's a fucking, he's a lunatic. Well, he's, he just wouldn't be fun. He's no fun to be around. Yeah. You know, and I, and, and again, but I, but, and this is where, you know, I kind of waver and, and get kind of caught up in my own contradictions. Cause it's like, at the same time, I get it. Mm. Like this is a fucking 
four fire alarm emergency. This is yeah. fucking the house is burning down. Yeah. And if your house is burning down and the guy runs in and goes, "Hey, um you, you should really get out of bed right now, you know, because you're going to choke to death on the smoke and you're probably going to burn to like no, he needs to run in and go, "Get yeah. the fuck out of the bed. Let's go." Yeah. Like so, you know, it's it's really hard. I'm I, I I'm working on a thing at the moment, a, a podcast that's coming out in a couple of months where I talk to a lot of um environmental scientists and biologists and stuff and yeah. this is a problem they talk about a lot every single one of them have brought up this problem that how do you alert the public to what is happening mm. and the urgency of what is happening without a being so histrionic that everyone's laughing mm. or b so despondent that everyone just loses all hope like and, right. it's, and how that's a really difficult needle thread how do yeah. you do it yeah and i don't know other than David Attenborough, who carries like a real moral authority and decades of real world lived experience, I can't think of anyone who threads that needle so well. Yeah. And even he, you know, there's people that are like, well, fuck you. You're, you traveled on more planes than anyone. Who are you to fucking kill me? Yeah. Oh, God, shut up. You yeah. Know, um, I wonder so. if um, maybe, like, he, he does more cosmology uh, and you know uh, science based uh, stuff but maybe Brock Cox. Uh, Cox could be the guy who could uh, well Attenborough's named him as the successor has he yeah. oh right right yeah that makes sense I yeah. think there is a real uh, he, he kind of uh, exhibits exactly what Attenborough's got which is a, a gentleness and um, reverence and, uh, and a caring to yeah. what's going on so yeah. maybe that's uh, who could take it but yeah it but is it's a really diff- it's a really difficult puzzle to figure out because you yeah. know I mean just just in the in the last, we've been talking for what 40 minutes and we've gone back and forth on going fuck that person's too oppressive and oh god it's really bad like yeah. even we you yeah. know and we're and we're completely on board with you know if I could click my fingers tomorrow and ban all fucking cars and cows I would yeah you know sorry guys you don't get your fucking quarter pounders every day yeah. sorry yeah we're in a fucking emergency right now you can have fucking bug meat yeah you can have a silo full of grasshoppers in every city yeah they get ground down every day you wouldn't even fucking know the difference you pull shit pipes out of your prawns on christmas morning every fucking year and don't have a problem with that so <laughs> eat your fucking cockroaches and your grasshoppers you can't yeah. like I, you know this suddenly grasshoppers are listening to this podcast going jesus Christ, <laughs> hang on fucking calm down but yeah i know what you mean you know uh, like if there's, cert- there's certain things, and if I could click my fingers right now, yeah, you know, I, re- you know, there should be a moratorium. That you- no more, like whatever we've got in terms of land, great, we got it. Nothing yeah. else. Yeah, you don't get to fucking clear anything else, guys. Yeah, stop. Yeah, I, I guess the, the it's it's not it's not Freeman Lowell's. Uh, it's it's not him as a person. It's just the performance that yeah, is. I think so. It just starts too high. Yeah. It also like. Like the first shot of him, and he looks like space Jesus, yeah. and it's like, hang on, like that's too much that's as too well. Much. And and literally, his first line is literally, "Get off my lawn!" Like he, he's already framed as, yeah. you know, bitter, angry old man chasing yeah. the kids who are just trying to have some fun on this boring spaceship. Yeah, like it's it's not a sympathetic depiction. I understand that they're trying to get this message across, but they're yeah. not depicting. They're, from the outset, he's depicted as just a fucking. Uh, what a killjoy! Yeah, Ugh. yeah, just to down him. Yeah, the, uh, I do think his uh, acting is. Uh, I think this is where Ebert's talking about the subtleties. Is mm. when they get the news that 
hey, we can't afford to do this anymore. We're going to, we want those ships back for, mm. what is it, to run cargo or yeah, whatever, you know, and the look on his face. Also, once again, like, isn't it just a bummer that that could have been Scott Morrison calling, you know, like, do you know what I mean? It, it was like, oh. Um, well, and the truth of those calls that happen every day, you know, we can't afford to, no, 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 we can't afford not to. Yeah. You got it the wrong way around, idiot. Yeah. Can't afford not. You can't afford to for the next ten minutes. We can't afford not to for the next like infinity. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Shut up. It's amazing that uh, you know we've talked about this before, but uh, the economy isn't something that we were stuck with. The economy is something that we created. And now we're the thing that we created, we're slaves to. So when people say, oh, we're slaves to technology. It's like, we've been slaves to the shit that we've created ever since since we worked out if we planted seeds. Of course. But, but, you know, I mean, is it any wonder that a person like Scott Morrison, who literally rolls around on the ground at his mega church talking in tongues, yeah. uh, who you know, believes in just a manifestly untrue fiction, would <laughs> completely comport to more just fictions as yeah. truth? Yeah. You know, and then this this magical hand of the of the marketplace is going to fix it. Yeah. Technology will fix it because technology always fixes. Oh, great. Cool. Great. I mean, apart from anything, if you're talking in fucking tongues at a Pentecostal church, I'm not sure you should be representing the vast majority of... Not at um, all. Sorry, because if you think that the vast majority of people are burning in hell and you, you don't think that, you believe that, yeah. then what is your motivation for doing anything to fix anything? Oh, man. It's just, I mean, I, you know, like, I don't believe in religious discrimination or anything, but I'm sorry, to be the leader of a fucking nation, you don't get to have some weird fucking... Nah, dude. Like, yeah. that's fucking whacked. Was that a direct quote? Yeah, that's yeah. a direct <laughs> quote from Scott Morrison. His environmental policy. Oh, my God. He's crazy frog. That's that's what it's, we accidentally uh, elected Crazy Frog into being our Prime Minister. Worst thing about being an atheist is that you never get to say, fucking told you so. <laughs> um, we will at the end of all time. We'll be sitting there, we told you, you motherfuckers. So Huey, Louie and Dewey are well-realised robots. Uh, Lucas admitted uh, an inspiration for R2-D2. Oh, yeah. So... Um, uh, what, what what do you think of the service drones? I think they're I think they're really effective. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And I like that they're you know keeping in keeping with that kind of lived in uh, maybe slightly pieced together world. Yeah, you know, the clunkiness of them and the yeah. You know, obviously it's a limitation of technology at the time, but it completely fits with the aesthetic of the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because they have uh, amputees, you know, which we'll get into mm. more how they made them, but that that kind of lends them a a weight where you mm. know now, which we've also talked about mm. with CGI, mm-hmm. because they're quite clearly there and moving. It feels like yeah. you can you. You can you can feel them yeah. walking and like when one's tapping its leg and stuff like that yeah. you go oh okay yeah, yeah, that yeah. feels real yeah. um and the you know it, it's funny isn't it like when when technology is retro in a in a film it means it's timeless and it's when they try to make things look timeless that yeah. they suddenly go oh this is this is weird yeah totally uh just as a um side note uh Anna on uh, one of our Patreons who on Facebook was saying that she introduced her eight-year-old to Doctor Strange and for the most part really enjoyed it but thought the CGI was dodgy. 
The kid thought that. Yeah, and yeah, it's right. and it's like uh, <laughs> good kid. Well, I'm I'm curious as well because I feel like maybe the technology, maybe the CGI looked better in the cinema than it does on TV. It does, uh, which is interesting. It uh, does. So I said to her, I'd, I'd love it. Maybe the movie itself is too much, but show some of the scenes from Inception because that is before mm. and quite clearly influences Doctor Strange. Mm. But that, like, when Paris flips over. Oh, great. It looks, you know, once again, models and things like that just look so much more I think, effective. I, look, I think that, you know, I think the Marvel movies just in terms of uh, being, and, and, you know, there's a lot of historical um, proof of this, that because they're on this just infinite conveyor belt, they have to be pumped out. And so um, there's not a lot of rendering time for those movies. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of special effects houses talk about that with the Marvel movies. Where right. It's like... We didn't have to. I mean, you know, there's there's some shots in Black Panther yeah. that are like PS2 level. Oh, yeah. What the fuck am I like? Yeah, what like, am I looking at? It's like I'm having this really fun, probably the most progressive yeah. Marvel movie, and then suddenly it's like, wow, that's quite clearly not Chadwick Boseman yeah. and, and Michael B. Jordan As fighting weightless falling yeah. through space and yeah. they're made of rubber, and yeah. it's just like you know, and 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 the tragedy is that the effects houses get blamed, and it's like no, 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 it's the studio system going. Yeah. This is the date, get it out. Yeah, you know, and because. Um, what I've heard with CG is, um, as well, it's very much what happens in the graphic design world where right. the client has no fucking idea what goes into actually producing right. the product. So the day before it's due goes, oh, actually, can you just make everything purple? And they're like, like well, no, because no, it's no. not a purple button. Like, I've yeah. got to go and redo everything. Yeah. And I've heard that that's very much what it is with the Marvel movies. Where yeah. It's like, oh, actually... We've changed our minds because um, they, you know, with um, the Black Panther example, they made Killmonger filmed in a suit. The suit looks fucking great. Yeah. And then at the last minute, they were like, no, nah, just make a CG suit. For, for what reason? I don't Why? know. I don't know because it looks like shit. Um, I've seen Michael B. Jordan not wearing a shirt in the Creed movies. Yeah. You know what he looks? Fantastic. It doesn't need any fucking it, augmentation. He does not need anything. But, you know, so I think in the, in the end result being that it, it just it doesn't have enough time. It's funny. The... Uh, the deviance in the um, Eternals movie kind of kind of cool in the sense that they've kind of gone for the John uh, Romita Jr. Uh, version, but that to me they're very much CGI yeah. waffle in the way, and I, I would hazard a guess most of them. Uh, most of the time spent was on the celestial coming out of the water, which I thought looked fantastic mm. on the big screen. Mm. But uh, yeah, maybe they should invent a purple button. <laughs> Change like, everything button. Button. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's purple. Uh, we've kind of touched a little bit on this, but uh, Lowell eventually begins to slide into madness, which is difficult to fully realise because he starts off pretty mad already. Mm-hmm. But what? Uh, we've already kind of talked about this, uh, but my question was, what is the main giveaway for you that he's slowly losing his mind? And that, to me, is when he berates the drones for, oh. you know, being sad about their power when they find the foot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think it's when he kills a bunch of people. <laughs> that's probably a sign that he's lost his fucking mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. It's, 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 there's kind of no clear definition. No. I, guess it's, I guess it's technically the moment when he hears that everything's going to be blown up. Yeah. But then it's also his reactions to things getting blown up. Like, I, I think they're moments of madness kicking in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would have been a much more effective, uh, effective arc if, as what you said before... If he'd been, you know, kind of kooky but still lovable yeah. up until the moment that they said, 
we're going to blow these things. And then if the the moment that he killed that guy was a real mo- yes. ter- real turning point, like yes. a real like, you know, oh shit. Yeah. Like we knew this guy loved these trees, but I didn't think he could kill a guy. Yeah. And now he's killing someone. Yeah. Uh, I think that would have been much more effective. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, as it, as it stands, it's kind of like, oh yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, he used a shovel handle to choke that guy to death. Yeah. Onwards and upwards. Well, it felt, felt like it was correct. I mean, it is correct, but, <laughs> but uh, it's, still, it's still an interesting yeah. decision. Like, it was actually quite shocking to me later when he flashes on the fact that he hasn't even buried the body. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, oh, I'm surprised that you give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. no, good fertilizer. It's good fertilizer. Good yeah, that would have been great. Now put it in, make sure. Now plant everything on top of it. Grow, my prettiest. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that he doesn't do it himself. Yeah. That's funny. Which, again, could have been a really, you know, interesting character beat. Yeah. Um, you know, that he couldn't kind of quite face up to what he's done. Yeah. And, like, and, and that that's where all the best of intentions of the film mm. get lost in the lack of uh, uh, storytelling yes. technique that Trumbull has as yeah. a director. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Joan Baez soundtrack. <sighs> like... Uh, uh, like, there's a couple of things I'd change. Yeah. One is the Joan Baez soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's, it's like, like, once again, I tried to accept that this is the counterculture, that this uh. is coming out of that era and that push. But, you know, having him look like Space Jesus, having the Joan Baez soundtrack, these are just the bits that just push it a bit too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, that, it's that kind of... Um, it's it's that hippy dippy movement that's really easy to roll your eyes at. Again, yeah. even though you ostensibly agree with it, it's just like yeah, okay, like there's there's a performativity to it, which I'm sure maybe wasn't that performative back in the day, right? But it's been parodied and yeah, and and, and you know, it's just so kind of in the zeitgeist of yeah. like, oh, that's what those fucking whack jobs act like. Well, that's that's you know, it's. It's, it's a, a slightly unfair comparison because E.T. comes out 11 years later or whatever, 10 years later. But uh, going back to those performances, yeah. and it was like, oh, those are just kids. Like, yeah. I think that was the part of the movie that I was most enamoured with was just how natural mm. every one of those young kids felt. Like, such an extent that we we got a, a new segment out of it, yeah. you know, Zero yeah. Charisma. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it was... And this is... You know, what did you say? New South Wales performance? What, uh, what did you call it before? The performative... Uh, oh, like a, like, a, like a Sydney Uni... Yeah, Like a Sydney yeah. Uni, you know, student, just like kind yeah. of, you know... I'm emoting. Yeah, all, yeah, exactly. Like all the all the best intentions, yeah. but not quite... Not not very much nuance and nothing to it that I can really hold on to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's capital A acting. Yeah, yeah. Once again, also, if you picture it as a children's movie, yeah. then yeah, oh, right. uh, it, it tempers it. 100%. Uh, the mad dash through Saturn's rings uh, and away from rescue was a pretty bold move. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's is it was there another plan he could have made, or with the instructions being so thorough, was this the, was this the only hope of survival? Like he really crashing through those rings. Yeah, seemed to me like a suicide mission. Those rings are uh, dense as fuck. Well, they're because like they've got tiny rocks and then they've got 
massive boulders yeah. in them and yeah, uh, it's snowballs it's like billions of snowballs yeah and when they uh, I forget what satellite they sent through it they mm. used the radar as a shield to push through the yeah, yeah, the yeah. ring so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess they didn't quite know what it was then but it's a it's a it's a He's acting in those bits where he's like talking yeah. to, ah, oh, well, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't mind those bits. But, but, but what do you think his, like, what do you think his ultimate plan is? Is it just to float through space forever, tending to his garden? Well, so I, I don't really know. So I guess what he's doing is, these, these are two of the questions that I kind of had trouble getting my head around. Mm. And one is, I figure they must just have some self-replicating energy source. Mm. Like, each place must have something that is just, you know, constantly, I don't know, soaking up sunlight and starlight yeah. and yeah. using that as energy so that so they're fine in that regard. I'm wondering if he's trying to save this one because at some point they'll want them back and then... I don't know. I mean, the fact that he forgets that plants need light is a pretty fucking huge oversight. Like, for you know, it is. It is. Oh, that's right. Uh, why are they dying? Well, you know. Like, it does. I, 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 I kind of put that down to the madness. Do you know what I mean? But once again, because you, we start with him yeah. on the precipice. Yeah. It, it, that, that could have been a... Oh, well, you know. Yeah, but again, that because it's completely incongruous madness. Because it's like, well, if all he's dedicated to is the plants, yeah. you know, wouldn't it be this obsessive, you know, OCD kind of, you know, yes. tinkering and, and tending to them? Yeah. To forget something is, you know, I mean, that's the equivalent of being, forgoing everything to take care of your baby and forgetting that your baby needs food. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, yeah. Uh, God, this know. baby's been crying for three days. Yeah. Oh, milk. Oh, ugh. Yeah. Whereas, you know, again, I, I think it's true what you say. Like, if he descended into some kind of madness and then ultimately the product of his madness was that he uh, completely forgot what the initial motivation was yeah. and, and had, you know, foregone, you know the essential duty that 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 would have been a, a really satisfying character arc but as it is going wandering into the thing seeing some brown leaves and going where are they going yeah. and then 20 minutes later going, oh that's right they need sun yeah it's, like, like, it's, bruce come on mate <laughs> come on mate but it's funny because then you, you like how long does that scene go with him teaching them how to play cards yeah i know it's like less cards more more sun right come uh, on. yeah <laughs> once again it, it, it's it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, this is what I wanted a whole the second half of Prometheus to yeah, be, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah, go, yeah. oh, maybe, yeah. maybe they were right yeah, in, exactly. in, in certain aspects. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess that seems important because uh, he—it's kind of the moment where he realizes the life that he's committed himself to. That he has to, oh well, I'm going to have to try and create some sort of fun here, and yeah. uh, so that's why. That's why I think it's a misstep earlier in the film where he's such a pain in the ass with the guys that he plays cards with. If if that had been a moment of him genuinely having a good time, mm. but the, 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 then that scene has more gravitas because yes. he's trying to recreate it, and you know he's yeah. you know like it's and that's a that's a big scene. Like it's him reprogramming with the weird things that just kind of yeah. flop into the top and. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then it's like, but he, it kind of doesn't have any impact because, you know, did he enjoy playing poker with those other guys? I don't no, know. No, no, no. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think you're right. 
you know, replacing the three people with three robots, you know, to, to feel like, feel that human need for yeah. companionship and all the rest. Yeah. But again, you don't you really don't get that. I mean, really, there is no depth to his character other than I like trees. Yeah. And fuck you if you don't. And beyond that, it's kind of, there's not much room to move. Well, also, like, the scene of him driving around and having the accident and yeah. kind of, you know, that's... Uh, once again, we we could have seen him racing with the others. Yeah, like they, they didn't have to come and do burnouts in his yeah. in his carrot garden. Yeah, like they could have like we could have seen him having some fun moments and everyone kind of getting on with their job, and yeah. him, you know, being in charge of all the plot. By the way, yeah. is it, there's only four people for all of those ships. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> fuck automation. Right. Automation stealing American jobs. Right. But it is. It's like, it's one of the, another, it's, I think the movie does world building really well, mm. but it doesn't follow through with the ramifications of that world yes. building. And that's yes. where, uh, you know, like maybe there could have been other people on the ships, you yeah, know, absolutely. or, and then suddenly he's taking them out. Yeah. 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 And then, and, and try to pre- preserve the domes while he destroys the rest of the ship. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I think, I think what you say about it being a kid's movie is the thing I can keep defaulting back to. Yeah. But I'm not sure that it was made as a kid's movie. That's all. Well, if it, if it, it's... I think it's a family movie because yeah. it's G-rated. Yeah. You know, so... Um, Pretty hardcore in parts for a G-rated movie. Oh, yeah. Well, you know... Killing a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, strangling and, you know... Bleeding out. Blowing them, yeah. blowing them up and yeah. then... Incinerating yourself at the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, kids! <laughs> Let's have a good day. Well, you know, there was in that era of uh, entertainment, there are some very dark stuff for kids. Did you ever see um, Where the Wind Blows? Oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> you know, well, it's got Dad doing uh, a song for the soundtrack, so that's what brought me to it, but wow. Like, if- I read that as an adult and was traumatised. Oh. Horrific. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like it. Um, Watership down. Uh, the plague Watership dogs. down was the one I was just trying to think of. Yeah. Like Jesus shit. Yeah. But you know, we weren't we weren't afraid to let kids have a cry or get scared. Kids or, should have a fucking cry, and yeah. they should be scared. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I agree. I agree totally. They've got like, oh, this will upset them. Good. Yeah, good. It, it's, Life it, hurts sometimes. Life's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fucking, it's, it's hard work. My, my friend's dog died. Yeah. Seven, seven years old. Yeah. Just got meningitis. Yeah. Was fine on a Sunday, was dead yeah, on a on Tuesday. Monday, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, and that's life, man. And that's, and that's why you need, yeah. you need fiction to, to experience these things so then mm. when shit comes along mm. y- 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 you're prepped well this is my this is my biggest criticism of you know bubble wrap parenting and helicopter pairing and all the rest yeah. it's like you think that you're doing some great service for your child you're really not you're doing them a profound disservice yeah it's not to say that you take any kind of glee or delight when a kid hurts themselves or their feelings are hurt or whatever and y- you know and, and you absolutely act as support and um, foster them through the experience but to think that you can shield them from any kind of discomfort like what are you talking about it's just insane and then what you know 
you, you, you do the great job that you set out to do and shelter them from discomfort for the first 18 years of their life. And then the first time they fucking drop a plate when they live in a share house, they have a complete nervous breakdown because they've never experienced anything before. It's, just, yeah. it's, a, it's, not, it's no way to, to, to foster someone into the world, especially a world that's getting increasingly fucking scary and challenging and complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to, I used to work on kids game shows a lot and, um, there was one where you could see what kid was about to get booted out, uh, a couple of minutes before they knew right. there was a whole grid type situation. Right. Uh, and we'd be sitting backstage operating the grid and everything. <laughs> and I was used to joke that it was, you know, it was a profound, profoundly honoring experience to be there in that moment where a kid realized on national TV that life can be a series of continuing disappointments right. and crushing and having to kind of hold their face together, you know, even though they're experiencing this real, like, ah, this yeah. is shit, yeah. you know, knowing for well, you can't because this yeah. is, you know, being recorded for TV and it's being beamed out into the infinity of space and it's yeah. going to exist forever. I've got to keep my shit together, yeah. even though my little heart is crushed. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I joke, like, you know, we weren't sitting there, like, cackling, like, sucked in, kid. But... There was a part that was like, yeah, like, welcome. Yeah, yeah. What a shit moment. And you're experiencing it now and yeah. you're going to have to kind of handle it with some level of young dignity yeah, and honour. And and, yeah. yeah, great. And, and, you know, like, you don't fucking win. Yeah. Or, you know, in fact, you know, like when I, when I used to work with kids a lot, you know, because they really feel so much, as we all do, but we get so covered in scar tissue that we stop feeling a lot. Um you know, the better thing that you say to a kid when they lose a race that they really wanted to win is to tell them the truth, that you're going to lose nine times out of ten. That's just the way it is. And the difference between, the you know, LeBron James and the other guy who wanted to be a basketball star just as much who never made it was that LeBron James kept doing it. Yeah. He just kept going. Yeah. He didn't go, fuck this shit. Yeah. I hate losing and, like, tip the table over and run away. Yeah. And then, you know, like, it's just pushing through the disappointment. Yeah. And realising that that's, you know, it's the same with gigging. Yeah. You know, some new comics will come up and, like, so um, how do I avoid bombing? You don't. You You bomb over and over and over again until it's not such a big fucking deal. Yeah. Like, how, what kind of great comic do you think you're going to be if you do a thousand gigs and you never bombed once? You're not a good comic. You're going to be a terrible comic because you're pandering and you're like, yeah. whatever you're doing, it's not like risk taking or getting out of your comfort zone on any level. It's the Louis C.K. quote about your desire to kill on a Monday stops your ability to kill on a Saturday. Mm hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? The. Uh, just. One of the things that I'm so grateful that I did was play team sport. Mm. And I played team sport for a long time in lots of different basketball teams. And uh, it taught me a lot. And I am 100% against everyone getting a trophy. Oh, God. No. No. Dude. You you get the trophy if you earn it. Dude. I used to do um, birthday, kids' birthday parties. Like, do ner- like it was kind of yeah. like paintball for kids, but with Nerf guns. Uh, and the number of parties I'd show up to where they're like, you know, the parent would come up and like, oh, I bought these like, you know, little shit fucking plastic trophies for all the kids. Can you give them out to them at the end? It's like, no. Yeah. The prize is two hours running around with unlimited Nerf bullets playing sick games with your friend. That's the prize. Yeah. 
This mass manufactured piece of shit that still has the fucking the join bits of plastic on the end from where it was pulled off the rack. Like yeah. it's not that's not a prize. That's some bit of tokenistic shit that's going to clog up the ocean. Like who gives yeah. a fuck? What are you talking about? Yeah. And 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 then this expectation that you know not only are you do you get the good thing, you're then rewarded for doing a good thing. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's insane. So you know my. My primary school basketball team, we played three seasons a year, right. so for the three terms. And so I played in that team for uh, – I played in that team for four and a half years. There was a, there was a season I missed because mum and I went overseas when I was in uh, grade four. We went overseas, so I missed, a, I missed uh, a season. But anyway, every season that I played throughout primary school, we came third. Mm-hmm. Third. Hmm. Just could not get into the... Couldn't even get into the final. Mm. Always came close. Always teams better than us. And then when I first played district basketball, my team, like, if you got three victories in a season, it was great. And mm. uh, constantly finished second, third to bottom, that kind of thing. And then uh, then I played at, uh, church basketball for a church I've never been to. Shout out to Crotton Kilkenny <laughs> United. Um, and we had a... Great team. We lost, I think, four games for the season. And in the grand final, we beat the team that was undefeated. Mm. And it was a great feeling. That was when I was 11. 1983, big year for me. Um, And then the next year, our team was even better. We went through undefeated and lost the grand final. And we lost the grand final because uh, Robbie Hocking was our best player. I was definitely the second best player. And... I cracked under the pressure, felt the pressure mm-hmm. and uh, played really poorly. And, you know, we lost and like our team didn't handle it well. And, you know, afterwards, you know, from uh, players uh, from the same church, but from higher up, you know, we're kind of hanging shit on me and all that kind of stuff. I'm glad I had both experiences. 100%. Like, they allowed me to 100%. only dislike the comedy scene and understand why I dislike it and not <laughs> not be incapable of comprehending why it's full of arseholes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's that whole thing. You know, how do you appreciate the sweet unless you've had the sour? Yeah. Like, you know, it's just... Um, it's a very... it's such a reductive, immature, baby fucking mentality to think that you can navigate your life without any kind of grief or discomfort or, you know, and I would, I would, you know, I I just don't, I I, I don't, I just don't understand the compulsion. Like, I get it. Feeling like shit sucks. It really does. It's horrible. Um, But, you know, like I read a, I read a study one time, some English study where they were like, you know, they asked oh, however many people, 10,000 people, you know, if you could eliminate uh, any kind of bad feeling, would you do it? And 70% of people are like, yes. So it's like, but what you don't understand is that doesn't mean you're going to walk around for your whole life deliriously happy, which is a form of insanity, even if you were. But it would just be a grey nothing. Yeah. Because there's nothing to contrast the happiness against. Yeah. So, yeah, sure, you've eliminated all bad feelings, but conversely, you've also eliminated all great feeling. Yeah. It's just nothing now. It's called value. Uh, exactly. Exactly. It's just being doped out of your fucking head and not feeling anything. Yeah. It's the reason that I was on antidepressants briefly and, you know, 
sit standing at my grandfather's funeral unable, unable to cry as my you know essentially my father is lowered into yeah. the ground and I'm never going to see him again and I don't feel anything yeah it's like you know what I'd rather just feel racked with grief right now yeah because at least it means I'm fucking here and I'm present and I'm aware of what's happening not yeah. just on Soma yeah fuck that shit <sighs> This is uh, an hour 10 in, and I'm sure most of our listeners have set themselves on fire. But uh, we'll keep going. Hey, if they're listening, they're kind of used to these. Yeah, they're, these they're, they know. Fancy. This is going to happen. If we're, if we're doing a sci-fi movie that's about the environment not being saved, guess where it's going to be yeah. going? Yeah. Some pretty fucking sad places. I wish, dude... I wish we could have an hour and 20 minute conversation going, hey, you know what? This movie really uh, was really dystopic, but we really managed to turn it around. And I mean, can you imagine if it wasn't like, if it was actually was like, it's... That'd be I, great. I wish we were living in that reality. For everyone listening, before we started uh, uh, this podcast, I showed Ben a four and a half minute clip of LeBron James <laughs> just being nice to kids and and women and, and play, uh, people who just went to watch him play basketball yeah. in the middle of games, just going up like there was that guy who barracks for the Boston Celtics and the Boston Celtics <laughs> hate LeBron James. They've yeah. always had LeBron James. And this guy has, you know, uh, issues. Like yeah. uh, he obviously has, uh, you know, uh, mental yeah. handicaps. Yeah. And there's LeBron going up and saying hello to him and patting oh. him on the head. And, you know, well, not patting him yeah. on the head, but, you know, ruffling Tossing his head. head and, you know, and that, that kid's just having a great moment. Or then mm. it's that other kid who who's a Washington Wizards supporter who must have been... Uh, knocked over by LeBron and then he makes the point of going over and you know taking time yeah. to check the kids okay and it's yeah. like oh thank fuck we had that before this or <laughs> <laughs> this would have been even more nihilistic so I want you all to say to LeBron James thank you yeah. for making us have a little bit of light in this podcast um he realises the dome is dying, rigs up some lamps to keep the plants growing. Good work, Lyle. That's your one job, mate. Um, and then he knows that the other space freighter is coming to save him. What would you have liked to have seen uh, Lyle do instead of choosing to blow himself up to save the last dome? And the reason I ask that is, this is where I think, you know, like this means we get 20 extra minutes of the movie, but I would have loved him to just have them turn up and then he's just jury-rigged all these traps and he then takes out everybody on the I'm freighter. Them. Yeah. <laughs> he just takes out everyone and then somehow jury rigs the freighter to help power up his Yeah, I feel know. like he could have I feel like he could have there could have been a way that he could have just blasted off into space and, and, and you know, been yeah. what the little robot is and just, yeah. you know, spend his final days floating through space. Yeah. You know, hoping to crash land into a planet and see that. Yeah. Or, you know, that's how it could have ended. Crashing into some other planet and he plants a single tree there and we have some moment of hope and yeah a little bit more Joan Baez yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um yeah it's uh, well once again it's probably uh, uh you know a sign of his madness that he's yeah. just like oh well they're coming I better uh, blow yeah. it up and then the one that's been in, the drone that's been injured is just like what the fuck yeah like, why don't you fix me <laughs> Like, he could have set the drones up to, you know, they could have looked up, hooked up, and then next minute one one of the drones puts Boing. a little thing in the calf muscle that knocks him out, and then he's just taking everyone out one by one. Like, he'd be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, he's, and then more acting of him, I just don't know what happened. I have a feeling that something has gone wrong. You going know. full hell. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, 
I can't remember who sent this through. So if you're listening, I'm sorry uh, that I uh, did not write down your name. But uh, I was sent online a short story written about the alien in the thing, but written from the alien's uh, point of view. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It was kind of fun. Um, Would you be interested in a short story about Dewey tending the forest on his own? (laughs) Just floating through space, making friends with the rabbit and the possum. Poor Dewey. Oh my God! It is, it's, a, it's a fucking scorcher of a final scene because yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. little battered water pail is yeah. like um, you know that, that still does make me feel a bit teary. Um, this is something that I'm. I reckon normally we push back on hard, uh. but isn't this movie dying to be remade? Like, yeah. Uh, and you know who I thought would be. So, who do you think is the actor? that you would put in this role, with, with a better written version of this role. Patterson. Oh, you went Patterson? Yeah. yeah interesting. I just love watching Patterson. Oh, I'd watch Patterson do anything. Yeah. Um, I went Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. I reckon Gyllenhaal's got that. You could bring some of that Nightcrawler manic energy to it. Oh, yeah. And But if you start... <laughs> but I can also believe him as having fun with everyone and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he's and then having that moment where he's like... Oh shit! You know I'm going to have to do something, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. and then you know sliding into madness. Totally. I felt I felt like Gyllenhaal would be yeah. the man. Yeah, 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 definitely. All right, let's get to the segments. Uh, which character? This is who and how. Which character do you think you would be, and how you would react in their place? Lol. <laughs> well, sorry. Lol. I already am half that guy anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely you. yeah. I'm I'm definitely seeing you in the in the space Jesus outfit, uh, <laughs> holding the rabbits. Yeah. Hey, buddy, you want a snack? <laughs> I, I worked out that I'd be Louis. I'd be blasted into space without any hope of surviving, and somehow my boss would be blaming me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we found Hamo's foot. No, oh, fucking Hamo. Ah. Why didn't he move quicker? <laughs> oh, I got fucking stuck, you asshole. <laughs> Why didn't you send help? Um. Uh, our segment, Zero Charisma, inspired by the E.T. put down. Which character do you hate? <laughs> oh, unfortunately, lol, because I think that the performances of the three guys, as detestable as yeah. they are, obviously, as characters, yeah. they're, very, they're actually very good. Like yeah. that smug kind yeah. of, you know, <laughs> is, yeah. is very convincing. Yeah. And I've interacted with and know people exactly like that. Yeah. I, unfortunately, it's, it's um, Dern. Yeah. Um, that, and I think for the points that he's making to come across effectively, he needed to have a lot of charisma. Yeah. Or at least yeah. empathy, sympathy, whatever you want to call it. For any budding psychiatrists out there, just remember, back-to-back segments, Ben has said that he is the main character and he hates the main character. <laughs> That's me in a nutshell, folks. Messianic complex balanced by profound self-loathing. <laughs> that might honestly be my favourite moment of any podcast we've done together. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, I've written exactly that. Yeah, yeah. But I like you heaps more than I like Lau. But um, and I and I wrote he is the he is Ricky Gervais to me. I'll maybe remake the movie with Ricky Gervais. <laughs> my my excuse is you're allowed to you're allowed to carry on like Lau. As long as every five minutes to ten minutes you self-reflexively comment on how ridiculous you are. Yes. That, that, then you're allowed to... <laughs> yeah, like if, if, if he was dressed as Space Jesus yeah. and then like later on he's getting water out of the pond and he goes, Jesus. Yeah. 
I am Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I think, and I think and maybe that's the that's the answer to the problem that we raised like an hour ago about, you know, this, this balance of the rhetoric. I think it's ultimately once a sense of humour is lost yes. or a sense of the absurd or a sense of yourself as ultimately a fool... I think once people go into the realm of kind of that messianic, I know better than everyone. And, you know, a friend of mine, it it kills me to say an ex-friend, but one of my dearest, dearest friends for many, many years has gone down the full uh, fucking QAnon. Oh, really? Uh, Dude, it's really heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. I love him so much. When Um, did did you, were you worried and then... it kind of fully bloomed oh, look, or was there a moment where you were like, Oh no. Oh, uh, like, you know, it, 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 it's been a lot. It's probably, you know, to be honest, anyone that's known and it's, it's kind of been a long time coming. Right. He's kind of prime candidate for all that nonsense. Uh, and then ended up seeing a bunch of footage of him at one of these um, rallies, just looking oh, clinically no. insane. No. Looking insane. Uh, and, you know, had a few conversations with him before I kind of had, cause like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, yeah. and you know, I, I said to him, like, the reason I know that you're fully gone is cause you have zero sense of humor about this. And he's yeah. always been someone who's, you know, played the Holy fool and, yeah. and, and had a great sense of humor, even in his most wacky yeah. has always kind of been able to go, oh, I'm a fucking idiot. But you know, I mean, he was talking about, you know, false flag alien invasions that the, the government's planning. And I'm like crying with laughter going, are you fucking for real? And he's like, yeah, yeah, laugh it up. And I was like, well, now I know that you're gone because you're telling me that the government is planning a holographic full-scale alien invasion and you can't even step out of that for a nanosecond and go, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know, and that, and I think yeah. I think once a sense of humour is lost, yeah. you're fucked. Yeah. You're fucked. That's the problem with, you know... You know the one thing that everyone forgets in conspiracy theories mm. uh, and specifically things like landing on the moon mm. and it being untrue. Mm. No one can keep a secret. Of course they Some arsehole's going to say something oh, at some point. dude. That's what got me out of conspiracy land in my 20s. Yeah. You know, it was applying a bit of logic to the situation. Yeah. It's like, God, you can't fart in a fucking room without everyone knowing by the end of the, the break, right. you know? Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Dick Cheney was strapping C4 to the, to the Twin Towers support yeah. columns and no one like no one blagged that out yeah come gary on. didn't tweet about it yeah come on uh segment better or worse uh, ruin or improve the movie with one decision i've accidentally already shared <laughs> mine with you no. which is um i would uh i would have had loud just taking people out one by one <laughs> like i would have made it a little bit more of a thriller yeah i think that's a good yeah may, may make it like uh sunrise at the end sunshine at the end oh, um yeah. I, yeah i think i've flagged mine as well just that the, the performance if the performance was more nuanced and yeah. had a bit more depth to it i think this movie would have worked more for me yeah yeah definitely uh new segment which was inspired by benjamin elwood Ooh. where are we now mm. how close are we to the technology in the film so one of the things that I found, uh, at first I started looking about, you know, the, the, the domes and all that kind of stuff, but there's not, nothing really to get us yeah. into space or stuff like that. But I found this through Wired. In 2015, there are quadcopters flying at altitude that make high-resolution maps of terrain that then feeds the data back into an algorithm that then analyzes topology, slope, 
uh, soil type and moisture that determines the optimum position for planting seeds. That's right. Then there are other drones that fly two metres above the ground that strafe the mud with air guns, which leave puckered lines in the ground. And each shot deposits a seed pod buried a few centimetres below the surface. And these drones flying in six strong autonomous swarms can plant... 400,000 trees in a day. Whoa! That's the most hopeful thing I've heard in a long time. Yeah. That's my great dream. Yeah. Because whenever I think of drones, I think, oh my God, they're just going to be strafing the sky, scanning yeah. our faces. Yeah. But like fleets of tree planting drones, that's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful yeah. thing. So I'm right that you made that suggestion yeah, that's uh, for wonderful. a segment, and that is the first thing I have discovered. That's lovely. Oh. You've also got the um, the seed uh, the seed bank the the archive. I think yep. it's in Iceland where yep. all the world seeds have been stored. Stored uh, in case we lose and we need to replant. Yeah, and I won't, stuff I won't like tell that. you what happened with that. But didn't it melt? And yeah, the permafrost melted around it and flooded the seed bank. <laughs> anyway, these drones can <laughs> plant four hundred thousand trees in a day. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry. No, no, it's good. <laughs> Why am I apologising? No, it's, it's not your fault. Like it's Jesus, yeah. Uh, segment sum it up. What does the movie mean to you? Uh, For me, it's an incredibly dated film, but yeah. it was ahead of its time in sentiment yes. and fears. It shines a light on the counterculture, big-hearted idealism that, while it is a lot to take in a movie I, I feel like we could use more of now. Oh, 100%. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of wish that this had maybe been more of a... Um, I, I mean, I don't even know if it was a success, but I wish it... I wish, it, I wish the message that it had been... Con, uh, that it conveys had been more widely received. Uh, I think it's probably... Uh, from what I can gather, you know, from, uh, so it was made... It went a little bit over budget, but the whole film was one million three hundred fifty thousand. Like, that's pretty yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's definitely a cult classic because yeah. I think sci-fi was just you know was what it was back yeah. then. Well, it, was uh, an, it was definitely in an interim phase between yeah. kind of you know B movie schlock and the more kind of socially conscious stuff. Yeah. So uh, some interesting stuff for Squid Bits. Yes. Uh, in Italy. Silent Running was marketed and retitled as 2002, The Second Odyssey. (laughs) Uh, The four other movies that were made off the back of Easy Rider's success, uh, you know, where they gave uh, the directors uh, an opportunity, were Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie. Oh, big failure. Uh, Big failure. Uh, I I... I started writing down what all these movies were about and it was just a bit too much. But if, if... Anyone who's listening is curious. It is, and you have, uh, you know, you feel like a, a deep dive. All of these movies are fascinating to mm-hmm, read about. Mm-hmm. So Dennis Hopper's the last movie, which is mm, a meta textual fucking craziness. Yeah. Um, Peter Fonda's The Hired Hand, mm. Milos Foreman's Taking Off, which when you read about that, that is yeah, right. strange. Uh-huh. I've got some strange reviews. Okay. And another one, George Lucas's American yeah. Graffiti. Ah, yeah. right. So that's okay. interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kubrick had wanted Saturn to be the place where the Stargate sequence took place, but technical difficulties prevented completion of the special effects within the limited time available, uh, hence why they changed it to Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trumbull developed the sequence after production. So, And that's why we get Saturn in this, because he kind of worked out how to do, the do it. Yeah. Uh, I think I have something a bit further down about how that happened. Uh, the 
interiors were filmed aboard the decommissioned Korean War aircraft carrier USS Valley Forge. So that's why it feels so kind of chunky and real. After filming, the carrier was scrapped. The ship had been stripped of power and plumbing, so to light the space, they preset the area with fluorescent tubes, and then they just left the cables and the plugs in shot with just the aim of blending them in with the ship's fittings. Yeah, that's great. So I think that's part of what really works for it. Yeah. Plastics were supplied free of charge by Dow Chemical, who, after a public outcry, had come had become the sole producer and supplier of Napalm B and Agent Orange to the American Air Force in Vietnam. Yeah. Trumbull inspired them to give free assistance as a good PR move. <laughs> uh, well done. Agent Orange Vietnam... Give us free plastic for silent running. Everything balances yeah. out in the end. Yeah, well, you know, he's making a movie on a budget, so, you know, uh, I'm sure he didn't believe it, but he got the free plastic. Yeah. Uh, the three drones were played by four bilateral amputees, an idea inspired by Johnny Eck, a sideshow performer of the early 20th century who had been born without lower limbs. I believe that chap shows up in the uh, Todd Brown film Freaks. Freaks, yeah, and uh, there, there's a lot more. I was going to say there's, once again, I was going to write down all this stuff, but mm. it's worthwhile having mm. a read of, of how he saw that film and he just saw him moving with this grace and beauty mm-hmm. and elegance and and uh, that's what inspired him to uh, make the drones this way. Uh, the 20-pound, 9.1-kilogram drone suits were custom-tailored for the actors. Uh, they spent six months on creating the drones and were determined to make them totally non anthropomorphic so their emerging personalities came solely from the performances within which Mm. is what we were talking Mm -hmm. about how they had weight yeah definitely yeah Yeah, yeah. Uh, Universal attempted to sue 20th Century Fox claiming R2-D2 was an infringement of their design but the judge threw the case out before the trial stating no one has a monopoly on the use of robots in art and also they don't look the same at all they move completely differently. Yeah, yeah. We're like, you know, it's like everyone can't out. chill out. Uh, the Valley Forge approaching the ringed planet was shot using front projection, mm. superimposed in camera onto a large projection plate of an image using a large spinning disc. Mm. If you rotated it around while the shutter was open, it created a ring. Oh, so that's cool. how they finally did awesome. that. Did you, did you clock the riders of this movie? No. Michael Cimino, who goes on oh, to make really? The Deer Hunter and Heaven's Gate, yeah. and Stephen Bochco, who found great success on TV with Hill Street Blues wow. and LA Law. So, yeah, wow. so it's got some uh, pedigree there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trumbull, along with Wally Vivers, Con Peterson and Tom Howard, received a single credit as special photographic effects supervisors on 2001. But they felt that Kubrick directed the effects. They weren't designed by him. They felt Kubrick took all the credit and they never spoke to him again. Really? Yeah. Yeah, right. Here's something interesting, and this is what we could uh, put into the remake. Yeah. In the original treatment, there were aliens, but only the drones could see them and Lowell couldn't. The point was going to be that the aliens could relate to the drones more effectively without having to go through, and this is a direct quote, a lot of human hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I got to say, if I was uh, if I was contacting us from another galaxy, I'd go through the animals or the robots. Well, you know, maybe 
maybe that's where the movie gets a more optimistic ending. The aliens yeah. come down and go, you know what? That drone seems cool and that place looks fine. Let's save yeah. it, you know, yeah, definitely. like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel's collector, you know, but <laughs> like the original collector, not the Benicio Del Toro one. Or maybe it's Brainiac. Anyway, anyway. Um, Trumbull was a special effects guru who not only assisted on 2001, but also Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm. Blade Runner, and the original Star Trek movie. So, yeah. that guy. The effects in um, Tree of Life are just beautiful. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's one of those movies where I know so many people who went, what the fuck's going on with that? And it's like, well, I don't know. I saw I that understood once. It. Yes. I've only ever seen it once, and... I, that is just imprinted in my head. Oh my god! I don't. I, don't, I mean, I, you know, I cry a lot in movies. Yeah. That fucking ruined me. Yeah. There was a good hour where I just could not stop sobbing. Yeah. And it was the montage of memory. Yeah. Where it was, you know, just uh, flicking through this the 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 the, the, the life of this boy. Yeah. Just images that were just seemed so universal. Yeah. You know, not not even narrative. Yeah. You know, running through the washing on the clothesline. And right. Sunlight coming through the windows. It just fucking wrecked me. And I've got <laughs> it on Blu-ray and I just, I, can't, I don't know if I can ever watch it again. No, it's, it's just kind one of, of those films, isn't it? Holy place. So it's like, you know what? I've, I've had my time with Tree of Life. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah I'm uh, underrated uh, Brad Pitt and first yeah, time man. I'd ever seen Jessica Chastain as yeah, well it's a good, fucking great movie I couldn't because I, I, I remember people walking out in a half uh, seeing that at the cinema yeah Oh, whatever. I don't, I don't get people. No, 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 no. Neither do I. That's why we sit here doing this podcast <laughs> for the only people that we like, which are our listeners. Uh, Duncan Jones loves the film and said, we've allowed ourselves to be convinced that science fiction should be frivolous for teenage boys. We're told that the old films, The Outlands and Silent Runnings, were too plaintive, too whiny. I think that's ridiculous. By the way, Outland, it was going to be one I was going to suggest okay, I've to, never seen that. Uh, for our second season, mm. which is... Also, the reason I was going to suggest it was it was going to be the silent running of this season. Okay. So yeah, when great. I saw that quote, I was like, oh, okay. Sure, that, that's good. Um, two more things. I came across this poem by Richard Brodigan, written in 1967, that evokes the final scene of the drone working amongst the trees and the animals. Uh, I honestly don't know if this had any influence on the movie. It just kind of... Hmm seem to fit all watched over by machines of loving grace is the name of the poem do you know it no but um uh, uh fuck what's his name the the documentarian the english uh documentarian that did the century of the self what's his name anyway his documentary about the internet is named after this poem oh okay great yeah. i like to think and the sooner the better of a cybernetic meadow where mammals and computers live together in mutually programming harmony like pure water touching clear sky i like to think right now please of a cybernetic forest filled with pines and electronics where deer stroll peacefully past computers as if they were flowers with spinning blossoms i like to think it has to be of a cybernetic ecology where we are free of our labors and join back to nature return to our mammal brothers and sisters and all watched over by machines of loving grace lovely and here's some reviews for you and uh, we'll finish on this where you um uh, 
But I just found these fascinating. So uh, Vincent Canby, reviewing the film for the New York Times, said the film is no jerry-built science fiction film, but it's a little too simple-minded to be consistently entertaining. Mm. Roger Ebert gave the film four stars and praised Dern as a very good, subtle actor. <laughs> Arthur D. Murphy wrote for Variety that there was a crucial miscasting of Dern, explaining walking around often in robes which crudely suggest some kind of airborne vegetarian Noah and otherwise suggesting an out-to-lunch mentality his characterization does not evoke empathy. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And your favourite critic, I Mark know. Commode, has said one. that the film is a personal favourite and that he prefers it to 2001. Love your Commode, and luckily I'm a person who, uh, you know, doesn't uh, dismiss a person based on one opinion of theirs that I don't agree with, as so many Crazy people though, right? in this world tend to to do yes like fascinating though like fascinating, yeah. that, that's why that's what i meant when i was doing the research yeah. and then i was like yeah oh my god bruce stern's perfect in this role no bruce stern is yeah, the worst yeah, actor yeah. for it oh god this movie is too simple-minded i like it better than 2001 yeah, yeah, and you yeah. sit there going wow this is yeah yeah a, a conflicting film yeah of course and but the fact that commode says that uh i know that that is not an opinion that is not just some glib you know thing that he just said that that would have come, been come to with a lot of thought and a lot yep. of philosophy. Yep. So, uh, hey, uh, internet, pro tip, don't dismiss someone because they have a different opinion to you. Oh, yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, also, uh, this is a definitive, definitively a movie, I reckon, that it really depends on what age you watch it. Yes, I think so. And, uh, you know, uh, what you said about Adam Richard and, you know, Mark Commode, I'm wondering if we all watched it around the same age and therefore it has that effect. But, um, yeah, I think if you if you view it as a like a a family film, um, you you know, you can forgive its trespasses in certain areas. And, you know, the the, the stuff touching you, um, you know, um, the films that touch you as a kid. Uh, have a profound effect all through your life. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. It's the reason that I don't have a great relationship with Star Wars or Indiana Jones. I watched them when I was 25. Yeah. And, you know, I can appreciate that they're great entertainments, but I don't have that nostalgic connection to them. Yeah. Same reason I can watch Goonies, which is not a great movie. Yeah. And go, ah, hey, this is great, because I remember watching it at seven years old going, whoa, imagine yeah. you found a pirate ship. Yeah. So well, that was a funny... Th- set and setting. That's a funny thing about Star Wars, which is I... Uh, I think we, t- we definitely talked about this, but uh, I'm not really a Star Wars fan at mm. all, but I've seen every movie, yeah, and it was in the first lockdown out of nowhere I just had a desire to watch those first three Mm. original films Mm -hmm. it's funny how it's just kind of ingrained like that anyway uh, if this podcast was a little bit too depressing for you uh, you'll be very happy to realise that we're going to get everything back on track with eternal sunshine of the spotless mind As always, a big thank you to Ben Elwood for joining me on this journey into silent running. I don't think this was a movie that he really connected with, but I think we found some common ground that it helped smooth away any kind of rough, cynical edges that we can feel about the film. And look... I bang on about this all the time, but I think that's why it's important to watch movies and TV shows, etc. in context. You never know how your enjoyment might change when you take into account the world the movie was released in. And also the intent as well. Quite clearly, this is a family movie. So once you remember that, you can forgive it. It's kind of 
obvious message that it's putting out there. You know what? Maybe the message wasn't that obvious. Look at the world we are in today. If Maybe if it had been a little bit more obvious, we would be in a better place. I don't believe that. But you know what I mean anyway. <laughs> a big thank you also to our patron subscriber for the episode, Danny Radford. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Danny. And once again, thank you for your backing on everything we are working towards here. Let's finish today with a quote from Bruce Dern. This is advice about his business, but I feel like we can apply this to our own worlds as well. Bruce said, Since I've started to star in pictures, I have always managed to retain my singularity of purpose when I got into the business, which was to be an artist, as an actor, more than anything else. But to get to the certain kind of role you want, you have to be in a certain position in the business, and it's dog eat dog, and it gets very hairy, and you can lose your point of view sometimes. Wherever you are, whatever you do, hold on to that point of view. It's important. Until then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.